Stop. Commercial time. Hey, friends. So do y'all remember how we decided together that 2022 would be our year? Our year to be selfish? The year that we start finally taking the steps necessary to get our financial lives together. Y'all remember that? Well, I decided to get my financial life together by opening up my first investment account and investing in the stock market. Now, all I have to do is actually learn how to invest. (laughs) And I hope you'll join me. My good friend and season one guest, top 100 financial advisor and founder of Building Bread, Kevin Matthews has put together an easy to understand, easy to follow set of resources for newbie investors just like us called the Investor's Toolkit. The Investor's Toolkit is a seven module course designed to guide us step by step through our stock market investing journey. We need this, friends. Well, if you're ready to stop talking about it and be about it, click the link in my show notes to access the Building Bread Investor's Toolkit. And if you use the link in the notes, you'll also get a special sugar-free discount. Y'all know I'm going to take care of you, friends, right? Good. Now back to the show. Hey, friends. And welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Sugar Free Podcast. Don't you just love a good bonus episode? I love a good bonus episode. So I'm sure some of y'all were expecting this bonus episode to come. But I honestly was not expecting for this bonus episode to come. And so I say that some of y'all were probably expecting this bonus episode to come because unless you are living under a literal rock, you have probably heard by now about the slap heard around the world that occurred this past Sunday, March 27th, 2022, at this year's Academy Awards, otherwise known as the Oscars, wherein acclaimed and famed, loved, well-respected actor, Will Smith, slapped, famed, acclaimed, (laughs) decorated, actor, comedian, producer, director Chris Rock across the face after Chris Rock made a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith's appearance, um, her being bald. He made a joke about it. And so in light of the fact that Jada has alopecia and has very been very open and public about her battle with alopecia, I'm sure that many of you thought that I would comment publicly on the topic as well. And I say that because I received a lot of DMs about it, a lot of comments, a lot of texts. And so I know it was on people's minds because as many of you know, who have been rocking with me for a while, I too have alopecia and I too have been fairly public about my journey with alopecia. We covered it for episodes 12 and 13 of season one. And I'm actually going to include in this bonus episode 
part one of that conversation because I felt like there was so much in that conversation that explained what alopecia is, what it isn't. And it also gave a wonderful example of two very different journeys with alopecia from two very different women. And I think that that is an important part of this conversation that we need to have. But honestly, I wasn't sure if I was going to say anything about any of it. Um, just because there's been a lot of conversation going on about it. There's been a lot of chatter about it. And I don't always feel the need to comment on other people's business. <laughs> if we're going to keep it sugar free, right? If we're going to keep it sugar free, I don't always feel the need that it's my place to publicly comment on other people's business. And so I was content with not voicing my feelings publicly and just keeping my thoughts and opinions to myself in my inner circle especially about something that's so personal to myself to Jada Will and Chris I don't know those people right and so yes they're public figures but Will made it very clear that public figure or not don't come for me and mine don't talk about my family so I was like look I don't need no smoke with Will Smith. I don't need no smoke with Jada Pinkett Smith. I like my job. I like what I do. I don't need that that smoke today. So I was just going to let the moment pass. But because I had been reached out to by so many fellow women with alopecia and they felt it important for me to say something, I at least wanted to give something. Um... I, I would say that being a woman with alopecia and going on this journey is very difficult, especially once you decide that you want to make your journey public. Because once you decide to make your journey public, people think that you are just infallible and you have just this incredible amount of courage and are the new mayor slash ambassador for every bald girl in America. And honestly, that's not my goal. <laughs> Um, I don't have that goal or desire. And that's honestly, I think what kept me from being more open and honest about my journey earlier on. And so you'll hear in the episode more about my journey, but I did not stop wearing wigs until I was about in my mid twenties, although I had begun losing my hair around 20 years old. So I wore wigs hundred percent of the time for a good five years before I felt comfortable coming out publicly with my story. And it really wasn't a comfort. I really wasn't comfortable. <laughs> I really didn't want to kind of come out of the closet, if you will, about my journey. It was something I was forced to do out of medical necessity. And so my reasoning behind not wanting to or struggling or being hesitant to come out publicly really focused on the fact that I was very aware that once this can of worms was open, people would identify me first as a woman with alopecia and as Sydney Mac second. And that's not something that I ever wanted. I did not want to be the girl with alopecia. It has always been my desire to just be me and to just exist because who I am is absolutely fantastic. It's absolutely gorgeous and amazing. And I never wanted alopecia to define me 
But inevitably, when you have a very visible physical characteristic that's different, people start to define you as that thing. And that's also why I didn't want to really comment publicly because I don't want to be known as the woman with alopecia. I want to be known as the fierce, amazing, incredibly witty, funny, attorney, professor, podcaster that I am. I am so much more than alopecia. And so I just didn't want to comment publicly. But for the women out there who are struggling with it still, myself included, I know how much it can mean when you see other people who look like you, who can validate your experience by sharing their own. So in light of that, I didn't want to miss an opportunity to share one more time about a life-changing and defining moment, right? Because while I don't desire to be alopecia and I am not it, it has changed my life forever. I am not the same woman I was when I had hair. I will never be her again. <laughs> um, and that is something that I've had to, to embrace. And I think that I'm at a part or a point in my journey where I am able to embrace that. And so as much as I can, I want to use my testimony to be a light to others, even in times or moments when it doesn't feel 100% comfortable for me, even in times and moments when I just kind of want to be silent. I don't feel like I can be selfish. And so with that, <laughs> I want to share with you once again my story and my journey, as well as this episode's very special guest, Miss Michelle Gibson, our stories revolving around alopecia. And so before I release you for this week, I just want to give a very special shout out. And you go, girl. I see you to every single woman out there bald or otherwise, who has felt insecurity about their hair, who has felt insecurity about being bald, who has felt insecurity about wearing braids at work or whether or not they were beautiful rocking their natural hair. I want to shout you out. I want to give you all the glory, honey. Yes, I want to give it all to you because we are all on this journey. And we are all trying to navigate and find our way on this journey of acceptance, self-acceptance. And really self-love. And so I am sending all of you hugs, kisses, HR approved ones, of course. <laughs> Love and light. And I want to send a special shout out to Jada as well. Um, I'm sure she didn't ask for any of this. I'm sure she did not ask for Chris Rock to make those comments about her. I'm sure she did not ask for her husband to display such a barbaric gesture of, in his words, protection. 
I'm sure this was not the attention that she wanted on that evening. So all the love and hugs to her as well as she navigates her own journey. This being a part of it, I'm sure every bought woman out there can relate. We see you, girl. We know how you feel. And we got you. All right. So with that, let's get into this remixed episode. I'm even going to throw in the remix theme song for y'all. Let's get into this remix episode. And make sure you tune in next week for, of course, plenty of more laughter, more love, blatant, blunt, brutal honesty, and, of course, more of the most exquisite tea that's 100% sugar-free. You know it's sugar free Remix Now tell me girl, how you like your tea? When you're kicking it with Sid Mac, we keep it sugar free Cause all truth, no lies, the only way to be No more sugar in our lives, now we're living free Hey! Now change up the flow, but we hit season two Gotta relive the show, season one was going in Now we're hitting it again, having fun with all my friends Going strong until the now end tell Remix Me girl, me girl How you like your tea? You know it's sugar free you know I am Michelle Gibson. I have had alopecia since I was five. So I am 48 years old. So that means I've had alopecia for 43 years. I am a writer, a host, and a counselor by trade and a new mom. Yes, I am so happy to have you here, Michelle. This is probably hands down. Um, one of the episodes that I was looking forward to the most um, because I'm sure for you, it has been for me as well. Alopecia is one of the most important, significant things that have happened to me as an adult. And so if the premise of this show is having real honest conversations about navigating life, I felt like I couldn't do season one justice without having a conversation about what for some people may seem like an elephant in the room. The fact that I'm bald. <laughs> That's a pretty bad elephant if they, if, if they miss that one. But yeah, I get it. Because I this is the thing, right? And so people don't know if it's a choice. They don't know if, if you're sick. Yeah. Or if you have a disease or something. And so it's it's not ever something that people will openly say out loud, at least the people with some tact. Right. <laughs> Polite folks. But right. But, but I'm some sure people will. <laughs> you know, the, the ones with all the gumption, like the ones at the grocery store that never met you before. <laughs> And so for for that reason, um, I just wanted to have a real honest conversation about it. And so before we get into the discussion, I kind of want to do some level setting so people know and understand what alopecia is. And so so for our listeners out there, alopecia is a autoimmune disease wherein your body thinks that your hair or hair follicles is some type of a disease that it has to fight off. 
And right. so it prevents your body from being able to produce hair and you don't have any hair. And so there are three kinds of alopecia generally. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but okay. I'm sure the internets will correct me. Yes. Um, so the first kind is the most mild mm-hmm. and it's called and most al- common. Yes, it's uh, alopecia areata. Did I say it right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Areata. And it's defined or chief characteristics are having small quarter sized bald spots just randomly occurring in your hair. Mm-hmm. And then they have universal or excuse me, alopecia totalis, which is mm-hmm. next up in severity, which affects just the hair on your head. And mm-hmm. it's usually a complete baldness of the hair on your head. Mm-hmm. And then you have alopecia universalis, which is what Michelle and I have, which is we have no hair currently growing on on our bodies and so you either generally fall into those three categories and it's a disease that affects over 6.8 million people oh wow I didn't know that and there is no cure yeah and it's chronic so it comes and goes for some people right right and so to start Tell us about how your alopecia journey began because you said you had started in childhood and I actually did as well Okay. But so, tell me about how yours started or when I don't you started really remember. School. And that's the God's honest truth. It's one of those things that I guess I blocked out a lot of. I, I never had a recollection of it, um, mm. but it happened when I was five. And as my parents tell the story, um, I would wake up with patches of hair on the pillow mm-hmm. and no one, you know, so I grew up in the seventies. So this is pre-internet. So no one had a way of looking it up to try to figure out what was going on. So Mm. everybody's answer was the stress. Yeah. It's stress. But how is a five-year-old stressed, right? So there were no specialists, no dermatologists. It didn't even have a name that was that common at the time. And so the resolution was to cut my hair so that I would stop being traumatized by the amount of hair that was being left on the pillow. I don't remember any of this, but I do remember my dad cutting my hair. I remember being in the kitchen when it happened. I remember seeing my mother on the floor gathering up my hair. I remember my dad crying. Like I remember all of those things, but I don't remember losing my hair. I don't remember going to the doctors pre-alopecia. I remember all the doctor visits afterwards. It was two years after they cut my hair before I got a diagnosis of alopecia. So that's how not common it was during those times. So mm. that's, that's how me and alopecia got to know each other. And how old were you? Five. Five. Okay. So I have somewhat of a similar story, but okay. maybe not so as that's severe. for me. Yeah. And so I normally don't tell people this part of the story because it didn't affect me as much when I was little because my hair grew back. Mm-hmm. And so when I was probably around 10 years old, I started noticing that I had bald spots in my head and I had like Mm -hmm. little coin size ones just just around the edges. Mm -hmm. And I would get them and my mom took me to the dermatologist and they gave me this cream. They said it's alopecia or whatever. So I put the cream on and the cream worked. Mm -hmm. my hair grew back. And so Mm -hmm. I, I probably had spots though, like on and off for about a year. Like I get a spot, put the cream on, 
it grow out, grow back in, and then another spot might pop up somewhere else. And so it was just kind of that cycle for about a year, but my hair always grew back. And so probably when I was about 13 was when I never had any more episodes. And so when I was younger, funny enough, I lost an eyebrow when I was like 12 and it's never grown back. (laughs) And so I don't know if my friends ever noticed. Yeah. And so when I was in middle school, this is before my mom would let me wear makeup. The kids at school would make fun of me and call me unibrow because I only had one eyebrow. And so my was like, mom, like the kids are making fun of me. And so she started letting me wear makeup when I was like 12 or 13. So I could draw in that other eyebrow. <laughs> right. So I, I had been drawing in my eyebrows for a really long time. And then, like I said, by the time I was like 11, I didn't have any more episodes of hair falling out in my hair. But by the time I was like 13, I besides that eyebrow that never grew back, I was perfectly fine and it didn't Mm -hmm. show up again until my early twenties. And so I lived a pretty normal adolescence, teenage years. And so um, I never mention it, but I actually did have alopecia show up in my childhood. Gotcha. And so at 12, what year was that? 2002. That's so yeah. sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, that's almost twenty years ago now. Two thousand and two doesn't feel like twenty years ago, does it? It does. Oh. <laughs> well, so so yeah. So that was kind of my introduction to alopecia, and so when you were younger and you had lost all your hair, how did you cope with not having any hair? as a child? So I think a lot of my coping was not coping, right? Like, I think it was pretty dysfunctional. I pretended not to be sick, couldn't get a wig during those times. They didn't make wigs for children. So I couldn't get a wig until I was eight. And it still was a very grown wig. It made me look very old. And so we didn't talk about it in my house. We didn't bring it up. Nobody said anything to anybody. Um, And when I would get teased or picked on or any of that stuff, I really didn't tell anybody but my sister because I was afraid my parents would blow it out of proportion. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of kept it to myself. And then there were things I couldn't tell my sister because my sister was seven years older than me. So she knows big enough to whoop somebody. So I was like, (laughs) never mind. I'll just I'll just bear it. So I I did that all the way through college. Like that was Mm -hmm. my my, my method of handling it. Yeah. I, I, it's so interesting that you say that was your method all the way through college, because I actually had my first wig experience in college. Mm. Um, and so for everybody out there, I started losing for the first, the, for the last time, <laughs> my hair, when I was a, sophomore in college. And so um, 
Michelle and I both went to the illustrious Hampton University. The Hampton <laughs> University, yes. yes. <laughs> and so for anybody who is not familiar with Hampton, Hampton is considered an elite HBCU and bougie, 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 right? Like, <laughs> bougie everywhere. And so- Bad place to be with no hair, but yes. Boom, the worst- Good thing. everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> One of the worst places you could be with no hair because yeah. as Black women- we can be our best champions and cheerleaders, but we can also be our worst critics. And but even, even the men were like that. I don't know that I had any worse experiences with women than I did with the men That's about fair. my hair. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. And I, and I have actually an anecdote that I'm going to get to in just a second once I set the scene for <laughs> for this. And so, yes, it was difficult being in an environment where beauty perfection in appearance was the currency of the realm <laughs> like and that that's really that's how yeah that's really how it was at Hampton mm -hmm. and it was a very difficult place where you know you might be critiqued if if your perm went right you know your edges went like having no hair right is the word the word the lowest of the totem pole right right after no edges Bad weave, right? Bald head. And again, two different <laughs> periods of Hampton. So no okay. one wore weaves or wigs at Hampton when I went to school. So we were in our, in the end of the pro-Black era. So mm. everybody was, you could have a perm. Like that was, but you still got talked about for having a perm. Mm. Like the natural was where people were when we entered Hampton. When we left Hampton, it was more of the creamy crack, as they call it, right? But right. Um, you afros, braids, that was everything for my tenure. No one had weaves. No one wore a wig but me. So yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't a common experience, right? Like it wasn't. It was, oh, girl, look at your inches. That's so hot. It was. <laughs> Sister, do you not know who you are? Love your blackness. <laughs> Love who you are. You should be blacker than that. Love yourself. Denounce the white man. Like, it was like that. So, yeah. So yeah. by the time I had gotten to Hampton, um, I think that natural wave was coming back. But okay. Yeah, so a lot of girls were starting to go natural. And that's actually when I started losing my hair. I tried to go natural to be with everybody else. And then I started noticing. I was like, wait, maybe I need to get another perm. And so, but weaves were still very popular. But no okay. one was wearing a wig. No, no, okay. like, no one knew like had any concept for that. It was all about, and we didn't even have like bundles or whatever back then. We had the yeah. little tracks. Yeah, 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 and it was hot in Hampton, so that glue wasn't real good, so yeah. Hey, listen, I made it work for my freshman year, <laughs> and if you had a, a, a girlfriend who could braid or, you know, a little extra money, you might have got your sewn in, but for the most right. part, we had right. tracks and glue. Right. And um, one of my first experiences at Hampton with trying to find a wig, I... So I met Michelle when I was at school and we got connected because I was just starting to deal with alopecia. And one of the things that was so devastating was that I was I felt so alone. Mm -hmm. I felt so isolated. And so one of my professors who happened to be one of uh, Michelle's classmates connected us and I dug up this email <laughs> that I wrote to Michelle. Oh. 
I wrote you an email in college describing uh, one of my first experiences trying to and I'm gonna read it for the people if you don't mind. I'm gonna read it. And so and so before I read it, though, one of the things that I think Michelle and I have in common is that we are both storytellers. And I went back and read this, both my email and her response. And I just was crying like, oh, my God, like, I feel like I'm right back. Wait, I replied to it? You replied. Okay, you gonna read that too? (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna read it too. Okay, okay, okay. This email was from Monday, April 4th, 2011. I know. Don't you love Gmail? I love it. So it says... um, Hold on. Let's see. Says, hi, Michelle. I know I wrote you yesterday, but I just had to write you today. Today was just a rough day for me and my alopecia. I went to try and find a wig for my conference this weekend with one of my friends. We were talking and laughing, and then she just made a comment that wasn't malicious or negative, but it just hit a really sensitive nerve. I got in the car after we left the store and bawled like a baby. I tried to go to class, but I was still unconsolable. Duncan, who's a professor, pulled me aside today uh, after class to make sure that I wasn't dying or that someone else hadn't died. (laughs) But I really just had a moment. The last of my hair fell out recently, and I feel like I am starting, starting the healing process all over again. I know I will have more moments because it's still fresh, but how do you deal with your moments? Do you feel like the article that you did in Jane was healing or did it throw salt on a wound? I'm trying to figure out whether it will help me to tell people or only make it harder for me to cope. Today was just a really hard day for a little girl with alopecia, but I know it will get better. Please let me know what you think. And so this is what um, Michelle responded with. Sid, you know my heart is aching for you. I have had moments after moments, and it's hard for our friends with hair to know that when they say certain things or talk about stuff that we often feel excluded, isolated, and hurt. I'm glad you cried. I know you. We are so much alike. We are so strong to the whole world that we can walk around with a wound like we aren't hurt when we are. Sometimes you just need to cry. I remember once when I was at Hampton, I had a new wig and I felt really fly and confident and went to a club with my friends. I saw this one boy that I just needed to know his name. And when I got the courage to finally go up to him and the only thing he could say to me was, you would be cute if you wasn't wearing that wig. And he laughed and laughed. I went and hid in the corner of the club until my friends were ready to leave. That night, I cried in the hallway in McGrew, which is a dorm at Hampton, and called my daddy to come and get me. I was ready to leave. I've never told anyone that story, except for I just told it to (laughs) all of our listeners. (laughs) All I can say is that to make sure that you feel what you feel when you need to feel it, you will be a healthier person because of it. I was not as open about my alopecia as you are. There were a lot of people in my life that never knew why I wore a wig or if I wore a wig until my 10th anniversary at Hampton. The Jane article got me to the person you are today with your truth. It took a lot of shame away that I had carried since I was five years old and made me a strong and confident person for real, for real, not for play play. (laughs) Hampton hugs and kisses all over your beautiful alopecia head. (laughs) Oh, 
I know, right? <laughs> I remember those words now, actually. And it took me a long time to craft that, I think. Um, because you know how sometimes you're not sure if you're helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were helping. Oh, well, you had shared that story with me and I shared that story with all my friends. Cause I was like, this is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. By that time I was sharing it with everybody. Right. So it wasn't, <laughs> it was, I can't wait to see that guy again though. He, he was actually, he wasn't in my class. I think he was in a class below me. So I, he's going to be at a homecoming one day. I'm going to be like, look, <laughs> This me. (laughs) Yeah. And so speaking of that guy, I would love to talk a little bit about your experience dating with alopecia. Because you don't have enough time in a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We do. We do. We do. So, yeah. Like what has been the most difficult part? Do you feel like about dating with alopecia? So I think in the latter years, it's become easier because it's better known. The disease is better known. Uh, People are wearing wigs and weaves and it's not a big deal. Um, But I think the lack of honesty that I shared meant that there was a lack of intimacy, right? And so it was my big lie, right? Mm. And I had to keep up the lie and went through all sorts of idiotic things to keep the lie going. Um, Even though most, (laughs) most men figure it out. Like they're not as dumb as I thought they were. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But you know, they grew up with sisters. Like what was I thinking? Like you, so, you know, the whole, Oh, your arms are so smooth. Do you shave them? Yup. That's exactly exactly what I do. You guessed it. Like, so it was a lot of that. I, I felt bad. I had to do almost like a Alcoholics Anonymous approach to past lovers and let them know what was really going on and, and mm-hmm. share my truth after I had went through therapy. And um, it, so the challenge of being an honest person with alopecia, right, is um, being upfront about it having the disconnect that I look like Sydney. Yeah. This is what I look like. Right. And so the wig gives um, some type of barrier or buffer in the, in the truth of, of what, what I'm saying to you, right? Like I can tell you I have alopecia. I don't have any hair, blah, blah, blah. But you don't know what that is because you're not going to see it. That's not who I am. So I have a little barrier that you have chose not to have. And so there is a disconnect, I think, in people uh, like a cognitive dissonance kind of thing and trying to put those two things together, um, which allows for the comments that are hurtful sometimes. um, And not really being able to put into words that, that I have a disease, right? Like there's one thing to tell people you don't have hair. And I think I spent a lot of my life saying I don't have hair when I should have been saying I have a disease. Mm. So those are, those are incredibly different things to digest. And one keeps people out of your business 
right? Like I just don't have hair versus I have a disease and now we're at, now you're sick. Is it genetic? You, can you pass it on? Can you, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I can totally relate to the hiding and feeling like you have to keep up the facade because, um, I mean, and you know, this, I, I wore wigs for, for, for many years before I decided to go without. And Mm -hmm. I I remember, you know, some crazy things that I used to do. I used to be the one that would hop up in the middle of the night, make sure my eyebrows were still on. (laughs) Oh, God, yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's when I knew I was in love, when I didn't hop up to (laughs) half the eyebrow gone, the other half there, and he kissing you anyway. Oh, you love me. (laughs) This is real. (laughs) This is real. Yes. But yeah, I, I, I used to sleep above because these before we had the good lace front wigs. And so remember, there used to be a seam mm-hmm. in wigs and there was nothing you could do about it. Right. Like there was mm-hmm. no scalp. It was just a hard seam that mm-hmm. ran across here. And you only to me could tell if you were below me. So no matter you could be six foot five, if you were, <laughs> I'm doing all this. So, you know, and even like if we were in the bed, I would I would make sure that I woke that before you woke up, my head was above your head. So you couldn't see the same. Like that's that was my smart answer to that. Right. So um, the. The interesting part of dating is that once men usually found out you were sick then there was a difference in how they handled you, which was always very sweet. I never had a disappointing reaction to that knowledge, but I did have some harsh reactions to being lied to, Mm -hmm. um, which I wasn't expecting. Right. Um, I, and not in the sense of like, you deceived me deception, but I, I could have been there for you. I needed to know these things. We, you know, um, that I was very, very surprised about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I had to be more open about my alopecia because I was going through it, (laughs) you know, like you, you had an opportunity to kind of have the initial experience when you were younger. So by the time you were dating, it was just a normal part of your life. Mm -hmm. I was like right in the middle of my young adulthood while mm-hmm. I was losing my hair. And so I kind of had to be open with people because like you said, like they're not, they're, they're pretty intelligent creatures. Men right. are right. And right. so <laughs> they knew something was up. I, right. so it was just like, I'm sitting here looking crazy, like not saying anything when right. I got fistfuls of hair coming out by the day. And you know, my freshman yeah. year, of college I had a full head of hair and so I don't know that I have this insane amount of courage it's just like you gotta say something fool because people looking at you like you know I I always (laughs) get so tickled when people call me brave it's like is that brave (laughs) (laughs) is that what we're calling brave these days I mean I get it though I do and when you know when I did the Jane article um that was the first time I had taken a hair a picture without my hair since I was five. Right. And so people read it. I didn't know people read Jane magazine, MTV called and wanted to do a reality TV show. Like it was all sorts of insanity that was happening around that article. Um, and 
I knew that you couldn't put it back in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Right. But I don't know. I had decided who true Michelle was. I, you know, I had lived the life for so long or the deceptive type of Michelle. So I wasn't, I, I was still coming into myself after mm-hmm. the article and what alopecia Michelle, honest alopecia Michelle would look like. So that, that evolution took a couple of years before I figured out how I wanted to walk in the world. Well, so when you figured out how you wanted to walk in the world, were you ever considering at some point showing up without a wig as part of, you know, your regular aesthetic or has that never? Yeah, I did. That was a part of the, that was a part of the experience. I did my baby steps. I lived in New York. So I remember I'm going to go out on the run without my wig. Like, you know, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. So I did that. I, you know, I took my steps. I had uh, uh, two whole years of my wigs don't have passports. So anytime (laughs) I would go on a trip, no wigs. Right. And then the trauma of the airport itself kind of set in Um, the looks, the stares, the curiosity, the 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 mislabeling right like I I went to Puerto Rico once um and I didn't have my wig but I had a hat on because I had learned better not to because I I wasn't prepared for that so I I bought a hat had a hat on and was sitting in my seat and people were buying stop you for a second when you say Mm -hmm. not prepared for that like what was happening um the looks and the stares Mm. I'm not a I'm not an attention person right so I, I just am going through my world. Right. So when all of a sudden people are looking and staring and, and, and paying attention to you when you're not used to being paid attention to, that was more than I was ready for. Um, so I had bought me a cute little coach hat and was sitting in my seat thinking I was off fly after being traumatized of having to take the hat off going through TSA. Right. So I was flying and I wasn't, and then I, I had to get myself together and stop crying and get in that seat. And so I had my hat on and people started buying me drinks. And I didn't understand why. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then the stewardess was like, well, what stage are you? Oh, no. <laughs> Am I drinking cancer drinks? Oh. <laughs> Oh Jesus. <laughs> I'm drinking cancer drinks. Like, you know, that was a lot too. You know what I'm saying? I was I like, now, now I'm sick, but I ain't that sick. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not that kind of sick. And now I feel bad because now these people think I'm dying. Don't feel bad for their ignorance. That, that is totally their fault that they made that assumption and that they bought those the drink drinks back. I didn't send it back. <laughs> I drunk it. <laughs> but it did, it did, you know, there's, there's, there's a point of how much do you want to be responsible for other people's opinions of you? Right. And I don't know that I'm a person who can not be responsible for their opinions. Um, that may be my third evolution is to, you know, shed that, but that's not quite where I am now. So, um, so I spent about 
about three to four years doing things like that, where I would have my moments and I felt good about my moments and I loved them because I chose them. And, you know, when you're people like us that need to feel in control of something, right? It's, it's a beautiful thing because the alopecia makes you feel completely out of control, but it was a beautiful thing to be able to control my, my looks, my gazes, my, you know, I, I knew I was stepping into that. I knew what I was going into. You know what I'm saying? And I, mm-hmm. I, I own those experiences. And even when they threw me curveballs, right. It just added another layer of knowledge to what that experience is. But I do not see myself as a person without hair. Mm-hmm. And so I could not resolve that part of it. Like, how do I get to being me now? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, people, people push their idea of healing and whole and acceptance on you. Um, but I liken it if you need an analogy to transgendered people, right? Mm-hmm. If, if their version of who they are is not matching what they see, then who are we to confine or to make them be one way or the other? And my version of who I see myself to be was not matching that. And mm-hmm. I, couldn't, I couldn't make it. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't just the, I know I'm bald, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and I could tell it to you and I could say it to you and, and all of those things, but it, that is not who I feel I am. Mm. And so I couldn't make that happen. And so my courage was to wear my wig, even yes. when other people wanted me to be cur- courageous and not, right? Yes. Like they, they, they needed me to be this hero, but you're not walking around in the skin. You don't know what that's like. So stop it. Oh, you should be so fabulous and wear these big earrings and do that's not, I'm not that person. I'm not, I'm not a head wrap person. I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I love them. I think it's wonderful. I have a closet full of them because I tried to be one, but it's not, <laughs> it's not who I am. And so at one, at some point I had to stand up for me yeah, and say, this is, this is who I am. And this is how I want to be in the world. And I also am allowing myself to change my mind on that. Yeah. And if I decide that I want to do something else, I can do it. I can go back to no, no wig passport, Michelle, if I want to, like, I, I feel like I have that freedom, but I have been almost bullied mm. into bald mm. and you, you will not do that to me. I had to fight to be authentically who I am. And so if authentic means wearing somebody else's hair, then that's, that's my version of authenticity. Like that's, that's who I am. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow people who don't have to walk in my walk to make me feel one way or the other about it. And I, I, I don't, I don't need it to be okay for anybody but me. There's so much goodness there. <laughs> so many, so many layers and so many things that I can relate to in my own journey with alopecia, um, starting with the protection that a wig provides. And I, I don't think that people really understand, like it is a covering. 
in so many ways. And I enjoyed the protection of that covering. <laughs> like, Do you remember the Morehouse homecoming when everybody wanted to kiss and rub your head? Oh my gosh, I do. I, I do. I do. That That was maybe, gosh, that was maybe three or four months after I had just stopped wearing the wigs. Yeah. And it's, it's terrifying. I remember one time going to um, a, a festival with my sister and I had been telling her, like, I was just so tired of dealing with people's reaction because for whatever reason, people felt like they had ownership over my body and she she didn't believe it. And so my sister and I don't live in the same place. And so she went with me and she almost got in th like three fights because she was right. like, touch my sister, don't touch my sister. And I'm like, this is everyday life for me. Yeah. People think that they have a right to my body because I look different. I remember being a young prosecutor um, one of my first jobs out of law school and I'm trying to establish myself as a professional Mm -hmm. And I had a gentleman who also worked in that office with me and he was bald. He was a, mm -hmm. a, white, a, a white male and he mm -hmm. was also bald. And he was like, oh, we're family and like rub my bald head without permission, without warning in front, in public, in front <laughs> of people. Like I was a dog and I was right. mortified. Right. And he right. thought it was OK. And I know in his mind he was thinking we camaraderie. Some, right. He thought it was he thought it was a wonderful thing to do. We're having a moment. And I'm like, yeah. I am embarrassed and violated. Yes. Yes. That you have helped yourself to yes. my head yes. and rub me like a dog without yes. my permission in a professional setting. Yes. Like, I was this like, is something you would do. Right. The and so that that idea of covering yeah. is so powerful to me because that wasn't something I wanted to give up. Right. <laughs> like I right. liked the covering, then the protection right. that it provides because not only does it provide you a, like physical protection, but it also provides you protection from like you said the stares, the questions: Are you sick? Are you having cancer? Like it, you don't have to be the girl with alopecia. You can just be Sydney. You can just be Michelle. And that's all I wanted. I felt like after going through having hair for most of my life, all I wanted was to feel like myself again. And mm -hmm. going through that experience, I didn't I didn't recognize myself in the mirror. I would wake mm -hmm. up and think to myself, I'm ugly. I'm hideous. Oh, I mean, but that's how I felt because mm -hmm. to go from living a life, having a full head of hair and I had nice your hair helped define who your yeah. beauty was. I got you. I got you. You were, it, you are part of the black experience because most black women hair is a part of the definition of beauty. I can never forget um, a woman saying to me, um, a man that would love a bald woman had to be blind or in love. And she didn't know I had alopecia. It was just a comment because at the time I was wearing a short wig, right? And yeah. so it's like, but I I missed what you are missing, right? I missed the experience of growing up as the the beauty shops and the you know the black woman's hair 
definition of beauty. And it was the thing that got snatched from you when you lost your alopecia because you did grow up with it. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. something to mourn. Like that's, that's a Absolutely. part of our culture that, that you, you should mourn. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I think that's probably the most accurate description of, because I will say this too, before growing up in Las Vegas, and I, I don't like, it's, it's very much like in LA where beauty, beauty is also the currency <laughs> and, yeah. and, and not yep. necessarily black Afrocentric standards of beauty, like mm-hmm. very much European hair, right? Yes. <laughs> Straight yes. hair, long yes. hair, skinny yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like all of yes. those things. And yes. like, and, and so I didn't feel like I f- fit into what I had always believed to be the standard of beauty. Mm. And um, I felt like I did fit in with in line with that before. And then after losing my hair, I just was mm. like, who's going to want to who's going to want to date me? Who's going to who's going to think I'm, I'm beautiful? Because I don't myself at this moment feel like I'm beautiful and the wigs help me to to hide that I don't think Mm -hmm. I really had to deal with that Mm -hmm. until I stopped wearing the wigs but I mean like I I didn't take my wig off Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I don't take mine off (laughs) (laughs) you ain't gonna catch me without this hair on so listen and especially once they started making the wigs you didn't have to take off because at first we had we had to take them wigs off they're uncomfortable and them thirty (laughs) dollars would go like that matted up look was not cute, right? Girl, so, yeah, it was only gonna last you five hundred dollars, baby. Right? <laughs> you can wet it, set it, forget it, all Wrap of that. It. Yeah. Yes, but that I first that wig, black experience, yeah, yeah. You weren't doing none of that, and so no. once we got to a place in wig technology where we could do all that, oh, I was doing it, and I was happy to do it, and I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm bad again." Like my feelings of value for myself and other people mm-hmm. were too strongly connected with beauty, that and I, I didn't I didn't realize how vain I was. Like I mm. had to really cope with the fact that beauty truly is much deeper than appearance, but I don't think I had reconciled with that. I wanted to be beautiful. I wanted all my friends to be beautiful. I wanted for my boyfriend to be beautiful. I wanted everything to be beautiful. And at the time, everything looked beautiful. And then I I know you remember my college boyfriend and like everything Mm -hmm. looked beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, Mm -hmm. everything was a mess. Right. And I I had to deal with it. Right. Right. And, and I think that that's when I really had to reconcile with what I rather have a life and an image that looks beautiful on the outside or feels mm-hmm. beautiful on the inside. And that's when I had to really mm-hmm. start doing that work to, to figure out what beauty looked like on the inside and, and what it, what it meant to have peace and, and feel beautiful. And, and, and that took a lot of work and to see beauty in others that extend beyond their physical appearance. And so yeah. it was such a, a healing and growing journey for me. Like, I I don't think God makes mistakes. And I think he knew that (laughs) I had very little empathy for people. I had very little understanding for other people's experiences. Like this is, this is it. This is life. And I, I, I was very rigid. Yeah. I'm thinking. I'm very sure. 
very, <laughs> very sure. I was like, well, she's got it all figured out at 20. <laughs> like I just knew. And I think that this was the beginning of the deconstruction mm-hmm. of my thoughts about everything. Mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, it, it turns it turns everything upside down. It really does turn everything upside down. And with that, we're going to have to cut this episode short. I know, I know, I know, I know. You hate a two-parter, but this conversation was so good and so rich that I didn't want to chop any of it in the editing process. I want you guys to get the full effect of this very beautiful conversation and so we are going to continue the conversation next week i know at the top of the episode i said this would be the finale well surprise we got a two-parter okay so tune back in next week for plenty of more amazing conversation some laughs some heartfelt moments and of course plenty of tea that's 100 sugar-free Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party. And we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. See you again soon, friends, and be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar free. Tired of piecing your business forms together from an internet search? Tired of sealing all your business deals with a pinky promise? Looking for a way to add some formality and professionalism to your business relationships? Then you need Formally. Formally is a DIY legal form and template shop for entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, freelancers, dreamers, and side hustlers. All Formally forms and templates are drafted by an experienced, licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So, not to brag or anything, but our forms are pretty legit. So what are you waiting for? Throw those pinky promises away and try Formally today.